0: So we're going to be back in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 7. Last week we talked about wisdom. This week we're going to continue the chapter on wisdom. Uh, Last week we talked about the value of wisdom and how to get wisdom. Today we're going to be focusing more on choosing God's wisdom for ourselves and how rare that actually is. We all know that we're supposed to do it, but the amount of people who are willing to put the time into it and apply it to their life... uh, The percent goes way down on who actually is willing to do that. So hopefully by the time we're done, we will all be encouraged to do more today than we were yesterday at figuring out the wisdom that God has in his words that he wants us to live by. So when when my kids were born, uh, Noah 14 years ago, Caleb almost 11 years ago, uh, they didn't know much. They didn't know how to walk. They didn't know how to talk. They pretty much had to be taught everything that they, they know now. And I was a part of that teaching process. I did some of it. I taught them how to tie their shoes. I taught them how to ride their bike. Leslie did much more than that. You know, the older they get, the less they need me. The older they get, they realize, Dad, who used to know everything, now doesn't know everything. They don't come to me for certain information. Like, I've I've made it very plain. When it comes to technology, I am not the guy you want to talk to. Uh, When it comes to my family, I go to NOAA for help. If I have any kind of technological issues, they do not come to me. And the older I get, the older they get, they realize, Dad doesn't know everything, maybe I should go find another source. Now, when I say I've taught the kids some things, Leslie has done far more, just like most mothers have, have taught their kids a lot of things. Uh, when it comes to math issues, though, I, I can still bluff my way through a lot of that. I felt this past week Noah was doing something where I just left him and Leslie alone and said, here, you take it over, I can't do that. But when it comes to kids asking advice from their parents, We want that for our kids. We want them to ask us, and we try to help them as much as we know. But how much do you value uh, your kids coming to ask you for your opinions or your advice or your grandkids if they take it, if they hear it, but they don't actually do it? We talked about that before. I've given examples where trying to counsel this couple over and over, they kept coming to me, and every time they, they call, I don't even want to answer the phone because you never listen to me anyway. It's like there's no value in coming to me for advice if you're never going to take it and put it into practice. Go talk to somebody else if you think, uh, waste their time, you know, if you think you're, they're going to give you better advice. You know, but my brain can only hold so much. I can only know so many things. My, my wisdom only goes so far. But God's wisdom is never changing. God's wisdom will take you from point A to point, to point Z. You right? know, it will encompass and impact every area of your life. It's never going to go out of date. It's never going to go out of style. It's always going to be re- uh, relevant, be relevant from the point you receive it to the point you use it to eternity and beyond. That's how God's wisdom is. And that's what we're going to be looking at is, uh, is looking at God's wisdom. And we're going to start out saying uh, that the wise are going to accept that God's wisdom is wisdom. It, doesn't, it isn't what man always wants to think of or agree with, but the wise person is going to say, Okay, God, you're in charge. Your wisdom is true wisdom. The wise person is going to accept it, and the wise person is going to live it out. And ultimately, how many people actually really do that? Well, I hope you look and say, that's me. I hope you say, that's you. I'm the person who's the wise person who takes these words and puts them into practice. But we will, uh, I'll give you the opportunity to think about that yourself to say, am I that person or am I not? So first of all, the wise accept that God's wisdom is wisdom. The wise accept that God's wisdom is wisdom. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Uh, we're going to start with chapter, uh, verses 13 and beyond. So first, verse 13. says, consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? God is an awful, awfully powerful God. If he takes something and he makes it crooked, who here has the power or the authority to straighten it? It doesn't matter what kind of equipment you get. It is not going to happen. If God makes something black... You cannot make it white. if God makes it short, you cannot make it tall. Ultimately, you see that God in His wisdom is control is in control. Nothing is going to happen without his approval and I know that's easy to say, but when your life is falling apart, when things are going the way that you don't want them to go, it's very difficult to find comfort in those words that God is in control, but the wise person is going to accept that God is in control anyway. Other verses that kind of help. Uh, cement this idea. Job, verses, chapter 4, 42, verse 2 says, I know that you can do all things. No plans of yours can be thwarted. No plans of God's can be changed unless he is going to allow it. Proverbs nineteen twenty-one says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is his Lord's purpose that prevails. Psalms 103, verse 19 says, The Lord has established His throne, and His kingdom rules over all and one more says psalms 135 verse 6 says the lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens on the earth in the seas and in the depths there is not one ounce of this whole world where god is not in control and if god is in control and we believe that god is good we can trust him the world can fall down apart around me i don't have to like it i don't have to understand it But if I'm wise, I'm going to say, God has got this. The wise accept that God is in control. One of the biggest struggles of man is, I want to be in control. I want to be in control of my destiny. I want to be in control of my kids. I want to be in control of my health. I want to be in control, but God is in control. And when it comes to life, there are good times and there are bad times. Either way, God is in control. Verse 14. A says, when times are good, be happy. God allows the good times to come in my life. And when you get those times, I want you to enjoy them. If you have a birthday party, if you almost win the game last night, enjoy that. It was a good game. Um, when, when you get the promotion, when you have a good harvest, when you go to the doctors and you get a good experience, when you get a good diagnosis, enjoy those because God gave you those good times. When they come, enjoy them. But when they come, it's also important to remember to thank God for them because God is the one who ultimately gives them to us. I know, it feels like I have a lot of control over that. I'm the one who made these plans what was going to make me happy. I am the one who said, I'm going to take this vacation. I lined up X, Y, and Z so that life would be good. But ultimately, I only have those good times because God is in control because God allowed it. And I'd like to stop right there. God is in control, life is good, let's go home. But God does not just allow good times in my life. Sometimes I have to face some of those tough times in my life, but when bad times come, we have to remember that God is in control of the bad as well. Verse 14 says, when times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider, God has made the one as as well as the other. God has made good times, God has made the bad times. He has allowed the bad times to come in life. And a lot of times we think God has lost it. God has lost his mind. God has lost control when all my world is falling around me. God is not capable of handling whatever it is that I'm going through because he's not stopping it. But we've got to remember that God allows that too, the the rough times. You know, when Job was going through uh, losing everything, that the devil was taking, allowing, God was allowing the devil to torment Job as, as much as possible. He lost everything that he owned. He says in Job 1, verse 21, The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. But through that whole process, Job knew that God was in control. This was only happening because God allowed it. Job 2.10, we looked at this last week. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? I want to say, yes, God, I got saved, and my life is all peachy keen all the time that would attract a lot of believers or a lot of people to the lord right if all of a sudden my pocketbook was always full i was always healthy everything i i did worked out a lot of people would say i want that but you know that when you try to walk with the lord things go wrong all the time you start facing persecution you start facing tough times because the devil doesn't like it his his demons don't like it they god just allows to have it to be wreaking your life if you're going to be walking with the lord but if god has allowed it and we want to ask uh, what Solomon would call an, an unwise question. Verse ten, or chapter, yeah, verse 10 says, do not say, why were the old days better than these? When, when rough times come, we want to ask God, why are you allowing this? Why uh, have, you, have you lost control? Uh, what are, what's the, the point of all of this? But if we're wise, we're going to say, okay, I've got this. and I realize I'm going to probably drill that point into the ground that God is in control. And if we're wise, we're willing to accept that. But I know it's easy to say. It's hard to accept. It's hard to let it infiltrate my life so the next time life falls apart, I can relax because I know that God is in control. You know, bad times, anybody here like them? I don't see any hands. Are you guys just not awake? No, nobody likes bad times. But there are there are a purpose uh, to bad times. There's, there's a, a reason sometimes God allows bad things to happen. You know, because what happens when... You're driving down the road and it's super snowy and slick and icy. God, help me. Right When I'm in the doctor's office and I'm waiting to find out what's going on, God, help me. When I'm about to take this test or I'm in a terrible, scary situation, I go to God. And sometimes God allows that in order to get my attention, to get me to say, I need you. It helps me to realize that really I'm not in control of anything. I'm not in control of my health. I'm not in control of how how I'm going to survive an experience. God is in control. It makes me realize that I need God. Because if I'm I'm turning to God when I need help, then it's showing that I need His help. I didn't turn to my neighbor and say, help me get through this scary drive, this road. I didn't go to my, my friend and say, hey, help me pass this test. I'm saying, God, please help me. So sometimes bad times, as much as we don't like them, there is a benefit to them. Please remember, God is in control. There is a purpose. When, when life is good, remember, God is in control. When life are, is bad, it's a part of life, but God is in control. But also, questions are a part of life, and God is in control of the future. Verse uh, 14c says, Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. I don't know when my next good time is coming. I can't control that. I don't know when my next bad time is coming. I can't always avoid that. I mean, to some extent, I can have an impact. If I make a bunch of dumb choices, I drive 80 miles an hour in the snow, I can create a bad time in my life right now. If I eat healthy, I can hopefully avoid going to the doctors if I'm exercising. But there's only so much control that you have over those things. And as I know bad things are coming, it can cause worry. It can cause stress unless I'm willing to put it all in God's lap or all in his hands and say, you've got this. I'm going to trust you in spite of what I'm going through. If we're wise, we will, we'll accept that, and then we can relax knowing that God is in control. So, the first is the wise accept that God's wisdom is truly wise, that is it's truly worth following. Uh, the second thing is, is the wise accept uh, God's wisdom, and they're willing to live by God's wisdom. Let me read a couple of verses, verses 15 to 18. When you're looking for wisdom, you have a, two choices you can go to. You can go to man's wisdom, which I'm going to guarantee you is much easier to follow because that's what man is going to think is it's easier. It's just what man has come up with, where God's wisdom is a little bit more challenging to follow. So you have two options. We're going to look, first of all, at looking or living by man's wisdom, verses 15 through 18. Solomon says, In this meaningless life of mine I have seen both of these, a righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. So it sounds kind of funny to say that somebody could have the goal of being overrighteous. How, how could you ever get to that point of being overrighteous? Well, really, if you're following man's wisdom, you can get to that point of being overrighteous. But first of all, I want to see what it's not. Uh, Solomon is not saying try to be as good as you can possibly be. And there's something wrong with that. Because the Bible all throughout talks about trying to be perfect. As their heavenly father is perfect. they talks about going to great lengths to make sure that I'm walking with the Lord. When he talks about if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. He talks about fleeing youthful lust and pursuing righteousness. He talks about how valuable uh, wisdom really is and the, the desire and the need we have to try to do that. Uh, he talks about a lot of things about not living the way that you were and trying to pursue and become something more, become more like Jesus than I was yesterday. Uh, it's not talking about what we talked about last week. We talked about having a good name versus good perfume. We talked about how it's important to have a good name. You've got to live that good life and not just have this appearance that you're doing the, the, that you're trying to live the really good life. So it is not saying that don't, don't try to be as good as you can, because we should. we should. We should look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday. I should be able to look back at my life and say, you know, uh, about a year ago, I was kind of at this point, but look at how I've grown. I'm much more like Jesus than I was back then. Think about when I first got saved to where I am now. And if I say, look and say, you know what? There's not really any difference. I need to start asking myself some tough questions. Why not? why am I not more like Jesus than I was a year ago? Why am I not more like Jesus than I was 10 years ago than when I first got saved? That's a tough question you need to ask yourself. If you go, really? There's not much difference. I talk the way I talk then, and I think the way I did, and I respond the way I did. We've got to ask those tough questions because the goal is to be as much like Jesus as we can. Now, how you can be over-righteous is kind of the way that the pharisees of the new testament did and they were self-righteous they they said i'm going to follow all these rules and the more that they tried to follow the rules that they were in the bible and the ones that they made up they could they could start sticking their nose up at the air and start saying i'm better than you because i because i'm doing this and i'm better than you because you didn't do what you were supposed to do and so they were trying to be wise in their own eyes and they were claiming to be wise and in, in the man's eyes they looked really good and in comparing themselves with each other, they were able to say, man, I've arrived. What the Bible talks about, if I compare myself with Leslie, that's a really dumb thing to do. Because Leslie's not the standard. Darren is not my standard. Sarah is not my standard. Right? My standard is Jesus. So I can't compare myself with you and say, boy, I'm so smart and I'm so wise. That's stupid. i got to compare myself with the standard of Jesus and say, look, I've got a long ways to go. I better... I gotta amp it up here I gotta get to be closer like Jesus than I was yesterday than I was a long time ago and there's people in the Bible who besides in the New Testament who struggled with being over righteous you know Job for being as righteous as he was he struggled with it he's going through all these tough times and he's just saying boy if I could just get God face to face I could question God and he could tell me I would ask him and he could I'm only righteous and I'm holy and at the end of the book, you find out that God's like, okay, Job, you go ahead and answer me. I'm going to ask you some questions, and you tell me how wise you are. And by that point, Job's like, oops, I was being overrighteous. I was thinking too highly of myself. I was acting in a way that I should not do. Job's three friends, they were trying to take God's judgment, and they were trying to apply it to Job. And they, they started out well. They spent seven days with Job, sitting with him with his, in his sorrow. And then they started questioning him and they started accusing him. Here's why you're going through a tough spot in life is because you did something wrong. And God's on our side and you did something wrong and you deserved it. And by the end of the book, you find out that, you know what, Job didn't deserve it. And those guys were way out of line by taking God's authority and trying to be righteous and cram it down Joseph's throat or uh, Job's throat. And it happens in churches all the time. Uh, People look down at each other people think of themselves more highly than they should when ultimately I might look better than you But that doesn't matter anything. You might look better than the next person But that's like I said, that's not your standard your standard is what is God's wisdom say in his word? Don't judge yourself by me. Don't judge yourself by God and what his word says so following man's wisdom We can be over righteous. I can be look good in everybody's eyes and the world can give me their applause and think how great I am or the world says, you know what, we're going to go to the other extreme. We're going to be, we're going to do whatever we want, whatever it is that makes us happy. And they're the kind of people who are over-wicked. Verse 17, Solomon says, do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? Well, you know, wicked people, you know, some, some people, they just live life to the max with doing anything that they want to do, and they die young. And you, The person who's the drug lord is always, uh, in, in, in the drug battles is the person who's probably going to die young. He's going to be the person who gets knocked off because he's got this big wad of dough or this big lump of uh, drugs that everybody wants and, and he dies young. The person who's shooting it out with the bank, with the with the cops at a, at a bank because he wants to rob the bank. And Solomon's saying don't be overly wicked. But he's also not saying, well just dabble in it a little bit. You know, just don't do too much. You know, there's that gray area that you can kind of find yourself in. Go ahead, just enjoy, just don't get like too bad. Solomon's not saying that. His whole, his whole goal has been like be righteous. Here's what really matters. Fear God, keep his commandments. He's not saying enjoy the sins of this life for a time, just don't overdo it. That's not at all what he's saying. He's just saying that if you're going to mess with it, you're going to get caught. There's other uh, verses in the scripture. Uh, one that's, uh, that I at times I really think about. And it says, be sure your sins will find you out. Now, that was in, that was in the Old Testament when uh, they had divided up the, they're going to go take over the promised land, and some of the people didn't want to cross the river to go help. And, and Moses is like saying, go ahead, set up your cities for your people, but you're making this promise that you're going to cross and go help your brothers fight the, the, and take over the promised land. He says, if you don't go, be sure, that sin is going to find you out. But that applies to each one of us whatever we do our sin is going to find us out my wife might find out you guys might find out kids your parents might find out the irs might find out the police might find out whatever it is and you say i don't want to do that then don't mess with that sin uh if you don't want that to be found out eventually it will whether here on earth or or having that little conversation just you and god you don't want that conversation uh be sure your sins are going to find you out the Bible talks about what you reap is what you sow. If you sow to please your sinful nature, you're going to reap uh, uh, major consequences. So don't be overly wicked. Don't be wicked at all. Avoid it to, to as much as possible. So number three, or, so instead of following the world's wisdom, Solomon's saying, "Let's follow God's wisdom, verses 18 and 19. It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God, that's where, that's where choosing God's wisdom is, comes in, is choosing to fear God, he's going to avoid all extremes. He said, Wisdom makes one wise man more powerful than ten rulers in a city. So the wise, they accept God's wisdom. The wise, they live by, by, by God's wisdom. And it says, uh, that, that's a tough thing to do. You know, how do, how do we fear the Lord? How do I choose what God wants over what man wants? You know, that's tough because the world's not going to understand. If you come to church on Sunday morning instead of going to work, the world's going to say, why would you do that? If you're going to come to church instead of going to a sporting event, the world's going to say, why? If you're going to choose God um, over some of their activity, if you're going to be at work and you're going to tell the truth as opposed to a white lie that's going to keep you out of trouble, the world's not going to get it. But the world in its wisdom says, avoid the trouble. Avoid making people upset. Avoid all that uncomfortable feeling now and deal with it later. So how do I get this wisdom? We talked about this last week. I I hope somebody here says, I'm going to try to be more wise than I was. I got a little insight of how to do it. We talked about uh, asking for it. If you need wisdom, go to God for it. James 1.5, if anyone lacks wisdom, ask God and he'll give you that wisdom. Another thing you can do is to search for it. You can search and it's going to take work. Proverbs chapter 2. Verses 1-5 through five talks about how hard it is to search for wisdom, but God is willing to give it. And I'm going to tell you, it's never been easier than it is in our world right now. These guys in the Bible times, these guys when they 50 years ago, these guys 100 years ago, ha, did not have it as easy to find God's wisdom as we do now. There are numerous websites that you can use. Blueletterbible.com, I think it is. Bible Hub. He has the commentary. Got questions. You ask it a question, it will give you a, a good answer. org. How to Defend Your Faith. If you want to grow in wisdom, there are ample sources that you can use to gain the wisdom of God. But the problem comes when you got to take it, and you got to study it out, and then you learn it, pick it up here, and then you turn around and you put it in your life at the work, in the basketball court, when you're in the classroom, when you're dealing with your wife or your neighbors that's when it gets tough so accept God's wisdom is wisdom and live by God's wisdom and then test everything that you hear everything that you read by God's wisdom you know a lot of people say you know what I test things by emotions this makes me feel good it must be right I don't feel comfortable doing that so I'm not going to do that I'm gonna go with popular opinion I'm gonna call up mom and dad and say hey What do you think about this? I'm going to talk to my friends at work. What do you think? Without ever even considering who is the ultimate source of wisdom that I should be going to to talk to. God's wisdom, not the world's point of view. And Solomon is able to test by wisdom because Solomon had wisdom. How did Solomon get wisdom? Well, part of it he got because God blessed him with uh, the most wisdom, you know, being the wisest man of anybody who ever lived. But Solomon wasn't satisfied with that. Verses 23 to 24. He says, All this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I am determined to be wise. But this was beyond me. Whatever wisdom may be, it is far off and most profound who can discover it. So first of all, Solomon was determined. I am going to be wiser uh, still. I'm going to try to learn more than I did uh, before. He wasn't content with what he already knew. He learned it by his own experience. He learned it by the experience of others. But he says, I want to meet my max spiritual potential. Now, I can easily stand up here and say, I like Dr. David Jeremiah. But that is not my maximum spiritual potential. I am not going to arrive at that level. But I'm still going to try to arrive at the level that God says, this is where you can get to, Josh. This is where I want to get. And Solomon's way up here. And he said, I'm going to try to reach my max spiritual potential. The average person sitting in a pew, the average person who owns a Bible, I'm not not saying you or not you, I'm just saying just the average person is satisfied with milk. Paul talks to the churches about you should be teachers of God's word. Don't be satisfied with just the milk of the word. Get in there, get some meat, start chewing on it, and start growing and becoming more like Jesus. Don't be satisfied with the easy stuff. Start digging, start learning some of the hard stuff and that's what solomon was doing he says i'm determined to learn and if you're going to be determined to do anything more than likely you can do it but if you're not determined you're not going to do it if you want to be a basketball player but you never get out there and be determined to do it you're not going to be good at it if you want to learn a new language but if you're not determined you're going to be stopped when you're first getting into those verbs and those how do i pronounce these work pronounce these words it's going to be determined it's going to be difficult But Solomon was determined to be wise. Solomon was also put to work into learning wisdom. He had the desire, he says, I'm going to do what it takes. Verse 25, he says, so I turn my mind to understand, to investigate, and to search out the wisdom and the scheme of things, and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of of folly. It's it's hard to learn to dribble basketball. You know, I've been trying to help Caleb learn to dribble basketball between his legs, which I'm not a basketball player, and I'm not a coach, but I'm trying to, you know, and it takes work to get that to do it without looking, keeping your head up, and to shoot it, and to run down the court and to be able to shoot it. It takes work, but he wants to be able to do that. I know some of you want, or, you know, kids, I imagine you you want to excel in some area of school. You When you have your uh. You want to be good at art. You want to be good at your science class. You put the work into it. My FF, H, A, whatever, all those acronyms. You want to be good at things, so you put the effort into those things. I want to be good at playing my guitar, which I'm getting much better. I have to put the work into it if I'm going to do it. The same comes with being wise. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes blood, sweat, and tears. It takes sacrifice. That's what Solomon was willing to do. That's what I need to do as well. Solomon dis- discovered, though, that there are very few people who actually do this. He's seen people, he's experienced life, he says, I know the potential is there, but people don't want to put the time into it. He says, I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose trap, whose heart is a trap and whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Her. Look, said the teacher, this is what I have discovered adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things while I was still searching but not finding I found one upright man among a thousand not one upright woman among them all this only have I found God made mankind upright but men have gone in search of many schemes so first of all I want to point out this is not a male versus female thing because the women in that culture did not have the training and the the upbringing that the men gave so the women are almost off the hook when Solomon saying I haven't found any righteous women But I found one righteous man. I found one. Shame on those guys. The potential is there. He says, God made mankind upright, but man is is in search of many other schemes. They have the potential there, but they're not trying to get it. And there are very few. One out of a thousand is what he found. I don't know what that, the percent is like .001. You know, that is a pretty pathetic percent. A pretty pathetic number of people who are willing to try to put God's word into practice. Now let's just say I'm going to guess there's about 35 people here today, and if we said there was one percent, I mean, if there was one out of a thousand, chances are there would be none of us in here that would be considered righteous. But if we say 10 percent, that would be like three and a half of us. And if we said 50 uh, percent, that's about what 17, 18 people. That would be considered wise. And that sounds really good, right? 50% out of like 35, 40 people sounds really good compared to one person out of 1,000. But that's still terrible. You know, it should really be 100% of us in here who are striving to be wise, who are trying to understand what God's Word says and put it into practice. That should be 100% of us. And even a child. You know, you say, well, she's only 5 years old. She can be considered wise because the the brain capability of what God has given her and what she puts into practice can be considered wise just as I'm 41 years old. I can be considered wise based off of what I know. So there should be 100% of us in here who are trying to do this. But generally, in in any church or any situation, that's not the case. And if you say, you know what, That's, that's fine for you, Josh. You can be wise. I really don't care. I really don't want to do that. Uh, why, why not? If you say, um, you know, I have a really bad reputation. You know, I, I feel like I've really screwed things up in my life. And even if I tried to turn it around, I couldn't. Well, you know what? Last week we talked about good perfume. You know, somebody who's faking it for the Lord can turn around and be the real deal. Or somebody who's walking with the Lord, like this guy that I mentioned last week that fell off the wagon. You know what? It's not too late. As long as you're living and breathing, you can change. You said... Um, it's too hard to do. It's hard, too hard to understand that wisdom. It's too hard to read this book. It's boring. I don't understand it. I'd rather do anything else. Uh, you know, God gave us his word. He wants us to know it. If you say, I have a hard time getting it, pray about it. Uh, study it out. Look at all the resources that are online that can help you. You say, you know what? This Bible stuff is really not my thing. I'm not going to get up and teach anybody. I'm not going to try to explain it. It's not really my thing. Make it your thing. Okay, this is not just something for the preacher. It's not something just for the deacons. It's not something just for the Sunday school teacher. This is something that God wants for you. No matter who you are, no matter how long it takes you, God wants you to put the effort into gaining his wisdom. It's there for everybody. So you're going to go through life. You're going to walk out these doors, and hopefully everybody has a good day. And I hope, I hope that whatever it is that you're doing, you can completely enjoy. You enjoy the food you eat. You enjoy the company you're with. You enjoy whatever uh, goes on in life. And when you have those good times, remember to thank God for it. Enjoy it, but remember to thank God for it. Hopefully you don't walk out these doors and have a bad day. That could be a possibility. But remember that God has given us some bad times as well. And make sure that you turn to God during those times. And as you're going through life and you're thinking, what do I do in this situation? You have two sources of wisdom. You can go talk to everybody else, or you can go talk to God. And then maybe somebody else, because God could give somebody else wisdom in order to help you. But go with God's wisdom. God's wisdom is what's best. And when you find God's wisdom, as hard as it may be, I want you to be one of the few, one of the proud who says, that's me. I'm the person who read it, and I'm the person who did it, and I'm going to live by it. It's it's such a rare thing that I want that to be you. It may not be your neighbor. It may not be the person sitting in a different pew. But say, that is going to be me. You want wisdom? Ask God for it. You want wisdom? Study God's word for it. But when you get it, make sure that you put it into practice. God's wisdom is there for the taking. Reach hold and take care, a hold of it and never let it go. Let's pray. God, you have given us your word. God, I know that there are so, there's so much in here, God, that I don't understand. And I try to read it, and I try to understand it. God, I know it's overwhelming. And God, you know what I'm capable of learning and what I'm capable of understanding. And I just pray that you'd help me to meet my maximum spiritual potential. And I pray that for everybody in here. Whatever that spiritual potential is, whether it's twice as much as me or half as much as me, God, I pray that you would help me to meet, reach that maximum spiritual potential. Please give us a desire to know your word to study your word, to understand it, and to put it into practice. And I pray for this all in Jesus' name. Amen.